Good morning. We're so glad that you're here this Sunday. Um, my name is Allie. I'm one of the ministers on staff here at Calvary. So good to see each of y'all today. If you're a guest with us this morning, we want to acknowledge your presence and we want you to know that you're welcome in this place. Um, one thing you'll need for worship is this worship folder. It'll guide you through our songs and everything else you need to know. And we'd also love the chance to follow up with you. So there's a visitor card in the pew back that's in front of you. Feel free to grab that, fill that out, put any prayer requests down. Um, we just want you to know that we care that you're here and we want to acknowledge that you're here. So today we continue in our series of living as Easter people. And I'm mindful that today is Mother's Day and that there are lots of different feelings surrounding this day. So whether you're celebrating, whether you're grieving, there's space for you and your feelings here. Um, and I'd especially direct you to this Mother's Day litany. It's purple, it's in your worship folder. Um, just take a look at that, read it, and see with which part you identify and know that your feelings about this day are valid. Um, so as I said, we'll continue in our Living as Easter People series. Let's join together in worship. Yeah. 
Pray with me. Dear God, you are the light and the heat, the spirit and the bones. We believe every life is loved by you. We believe you are life itself. You send us out, you tell us to wait, you center us. You go with us. You are the peace of love and the noisiness of love. You get in the dirt next to us. You are the holy imagination. You are the still point. Give us Easter. Make us new every morning. Give us your light and your heat. Keep us from the dullness of dimmed love, the faintness of hearts clogged in fear and selfishness, the minds and bodies that did not try. Take our little hands in your great hand and guide us. Take our little hearts in your great heart and renew us. Take our little minds in your great mind and make us sound. You are the union of divinity and humanity. We are humanity asking for you. Keep us safe from evil, but not safe from your calling. Undo all that would protect us from you. In your name we pray, amen.
Come on and celebrate. Come on and celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. He is risen. He is risen. And he lives forevermore. He is risen. He is risen. Come on and celebrate. Come on and celebrate. Come on and celebrate the resurrection of our A reading from the epistle of the Hebrews. Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through the, his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the word of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Disciples of all the nations, go ye, go ye into the world, and I will be with you there. Go ye into the world, and take the gospel to all the people. Go ye, go ye into the world, and I will be with you there. Go ye, go ye into the world. And tell the story to all believers Go ye, go ye into the world And I will be with you like to invite all the, the parents who are participating in parent-child dedication to come forward. One out of five isn't bad. We 
may have had a few potty breaks. Can we sing another song for a moment? <laughs> Is that possible? Okay. Let's just keep singing. Oh, awesome. We're great. All right. Calvary, I am so excited to introduce you to three very special families today. First, we have Caspian Victor Kent and his parents, Rachel and Blake Kent. Caspian was born on January 31st, 2018. He loves to eat, snuggle, imitate noises, and play the boingy game that his dad invented. He is an expressive and persistent child. Next, we have Huxley Reed Farquhar Cadell and her parents, Shannon and Dakota. Huxley was born on January 12, 2016. She enjoys dressing herself, jumping up and down, and reading books to her brother. Huxley is bold and adventurous, and she loves learning new things. Shannon and Dakota are also the parents of Ryko Wen Farquhar Cadell. He was born on December 1, 2017. He loves bath time, blankets, and when his sister makes him laugh. He is calm and loves to observe the world around him. Next, we have Rosetta Grace Bettinger and his mom, Desiree Hilmers. Rosie was born on January 30th, 2017. She loves to eat and make loud noises, and she is a very persistent and very busy baby. Desiree is also the mom of Matthias James Bettinger, and Matthias was born on September 27th, 2014. He loves to eat snacks, and he also loves to dress up like the character Chase from Paw Patrol. He is happy, and he is quick to make new friends. Today, we celebrate the lives of Caspian, Huxley, Ryko, Rosie, and Matt, and recognize them as signs of the kingdom of God. Parents, we would also like to present you with a letter for you to read with your child on the day that he or she accepts Jesus as Savior and chooses to follow Christ's example in baptism. This letter will remind each child of this day of dedication in which you and their church community made a commitment to come alongside them in their faith journey. This letter will also remind them that they are loved and cherished by their parents, by their church, and by God. So part of parent-child dedication is a covenant, and I think today is a lively covenant, and I love that. And so part of the covenant is with the parents, but then another part is with our church family and the congregation. And so first, the parents, we ask you to covenant with us. And so in dedicating your children to the Lord, will you teach your children by word and by example to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength? and to love their neighbor as themselves? Will you pray for and with your children and entrust them to God's care? And will you seek to surround your children with this community of faith that they may be nurtured and strengthened in their journey with Christ? 
Calvary. We ask you to be part of this covenant with us too. Will you covenant to be the family of God in this place for these parents and with their children, supporting them through prayer, encouragement, and your faithful presence in their lives? Well, as part of our dedication today, the families have chosen a special friend to present their children to the congregation. And so now we want to take a moment for you to greet these children as they make their way around the sanctuary. Often in worship, we bless one another by the laying on of hands. This dedication will be a similar time of blessing for these children and their families. We would like to first give immediate family members a chance to come now. And after that, if you would like to come and lay hands on these families, you are invited to do so. There will be a time to voice your prayers aloud for these children and families. And then I will close us in a prayer blessing. You're invited to come now. Gracious God, we thank you for these children and their parents. We pray that Caspian, Huxley, Ryko, Rosie, and Matt would know your love and your presence with them always. Give them your peace and protect them in times of trouble. Strengthen them and surround them with your love. May each grow in Christ and live fully into the person you are creating them to be. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we all are called to be disciples of the Lord, to help to set the captive free, make our share out of soul, to feed the hungry, quench their thirst, make all that peace our past, to serve the Oh 
road the saints have trod till all have seen and heard. As servants of the earth may we give thanks in one accord. To God who calls us all to be disciples And now, gracious God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts together in this room be found pleasing to you. O risen Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The opening sentence in a story is often considered to be the most important because it sets the tone for everything that is about to happen. A great opening scene in a movie or book will hook the audience immediately, keeping them engaged throughout the rest of the story. But the last line is equally important because it's the last thing the audience will remember. Having a great final scene ensures that the story will linger on with the audience long after the story is over. For instance, Steven Spielberg's movie, E.T., the extraterrestrial, tells a story about this adorable little alien who has been stranded on Earth and the young boy, Elliot, he befriends. And together, they attempt to assemble a phone so that E.T. can phone home. They succeed, and then at the end, they are forced to say this emotional goodbye before the little Reese's Pieces eating E.T. hops on his starship. But Elliot is so upset about having to say goodbye, so E.T. lights up his finger, points it at the boy, and informs him, I'll be right here. And I can still feel the lump in my throat that I had when I first saw that as a kid. Or there's the ending of the movie Back to the Future, where Marty McFly travels back in time with scientist Doc Brown, and after a near-catastrophic experience that almost erases his entire existence, Marty returns to the present day, relieved that his journey through time is finally over, when Doc comes back to inform him that there's a personal crisis in his future. Marty asks if there are any roads to the future, to which Doc replies, Roads? Where we're going, we don't need roads. And they launch into the air and zoom right toward the camera. And of course, you know I'm going to mention the timeless ending of The Wizard of Oz. Kansas seems like a pretty bleak and boring place to Dorothy, painted in shades of black, white, and gray. And she dreams of going somewhere over the rainbow when a tornado whisks her off to the magical land of Oz. She makes some interesting new friends and goes up against the Wicked Witch of the West and her flying little monkeys. 
But when Dorothy wakes up from her wild and crazy dream at the end of the movie, movie, she looks up at her aunt and exclaims, Oh, Auntie M, there's no place like home. There's the final line of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. The scar had not pained Harry for 19 years. All was well. Or when Humphrey Bogart says at the end of Casablanca, Louis, I believe that this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Or the final line of The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. So we beat on, boats against the current, borne back ceaselessly into the past. And of course, the end of Gone with the Wind, when Scarlett O'Hara says, tomorrow I'll think of some way to get him back. After all, tomorrow is another day. Sometimes the final scene ties everything up in a way that you didn't even think was possible. Sometimes it leaves you asking a new question or it takes your mind in a completely different direction. Sometimes it's a cliffhanger that leaves you shocked and dumbfounded and if there's a sequel or a part two, you can't wait to find out what happens next. Sometimes when the final scene is not done well, it can leave you feeling as if you've been cheated in some way or frustrated, wanting more. But whatever the case, the final words we read or that we hear are incredibly significant because they impact what we will carry away with us from the story. Which causes me to ask, what does the writer of Matthew want us to carry away with us here at the end of Matthew's Gospel. Today's text in Matthew 28, commonly known as the Great Commission, is Jesus' last words, and they contain his final instructions that he wants the disciples to hear and to carry with them before he ascends into heaven. And so he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Did you all notice all the verbs in that statement? The disciples have had the whole book of Matthew to watch and to listen and to observe, but here Jesus is calling them to action, to go, to make disciples, to baptize, to teach, to obey. And I think we have some pretty substantial evidence that the disciples did their part in carrying that out. Because you and I are here today. Because someone taught the faith to us. And someone taught that person. And someone taught the person before that. It's why I think it's actually pretty significant that we have read the Great Commission on the day when we have had our parent-child dedication and worship because today we remember that our call as the family of God in this place at Calvary is to pass along the faith to the children that God has entrusted to our care. And this call is great, the call to help them to know and to follow Jesus, to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to teach them to obey everything that God has commanded us, to teach them to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love their neighbor as themselves, to teach them to act justly and to love kindness and to walk humbly with God. It's a big calling and a big task that has been entrusted to us. 
And yet, this is not just a calling that God has given us to our children, although that in itself is a tremendous thing. It is a calling that God has given us to all people in all places. I'm mindful that people across Calvary will be doing that in various ways this summer. For instance, today, Randall and Brenda Bradley are leaving with a group of 40 Baylor music students to minister in churches and schools in Malaysia. Today, Julie Corley leaves with a group of Baylor business students to serve in Zambia. And right now, Shelby Livingstone is on a plane today with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes from Rice University to do sports ministry in Guatemala. Additionally, our youth are preparing to serve at First Baptist Church Colorado Springs this summer and doing vacation Bible school, construction work, and working in a food pantry. Another team from Calvary is preparing to serve in Laferia, Texas, with Pastor Melba Zapata doing outreach and community ministry with New Wine Baptist Church. And there are probably more stories and more places that we're going that I haven't even mentioned. I ask that we all covenant together to keep the Calvary family in prayer this summer as we answer this call to go and to teach and to help make disciples all around the world. And yet at the same time, I am mindful that discipleship is so much bigger than all of this. It's so much bigger than teaching our children or going on a mission trip, although these are both important pieces of the puzzle. But sometimes I look at this giant puzzle of discipleship, of truly helping people to know Christ and to follow Christ all the days of their lives. And the task of doing that in ways that are long-lasting and life-changing the task of putting all the pieces together in that giant puzzle seems completely overwhelming. Because there's not just a simple formula for going and making disciples, is there? At least not one that I feel comfortable with. And I think we have all seen or even experienced attempts at discipleship that have reduced our faith in Christ to a cheesy slogan or three steps on a track or in a program. Or even worse, we have seen people respond to the call to follow Jesus because of fear tactics instead of faith. And yet following Jesus is so much bigger and so much better than any of that. Following Jesus invites us to experience life abundantly while it also demands of us to give everything. It's the hardest thing we can ever do, while at the same time the most life-changing, most extraordinary journey we could ever be a part of. But how do we even begin to invite people into a way of life that is as big and beautiful as that? Well, if you are like me, and if you find yourself unsure of where to begin in this grand puzzle of discipleship, know that we are in good company. You see, I discovered a part of the text this week that I had never noticed before. In Matthew 28, verse 17, the disciples go to the mountain where Jesus told them to go, where the women said that they would meet Jesus. And yet when they see him, verse 17 says that they worshipped him, but some doubted. 
And I don't know about you all, I've heard this verse for years. It was on the wall of my church growing up. I saw it every Sunday when I walked into church, and I've never heard that part of the story. A few weeks ago, we talked about how Thomas needed to see Jesus in order to believe that Jesus was risen. But here the disciples do see, clear as daylight on a mountaintop, and yet we read that some doubted. Pastor Philip Gladden from Wallace, North Carolina says, it's as if the final edit missed the most embarrassing detail in Matthew's manuscript. In the midst of the soaring rhetoric of Jesus' commissioning speech to his graduating class of disciples there on the mountain in Galilee, that pesky, troublesome, even scandalous little phrase shows up in verse 17. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And so why would Matthew include this in the gospel? I mean, if you and I were writing this, and if we were sharing the good news of Jesus that Matthew shares throughout his gospel, if we had started in the beginning and talked about the nativity scene and the wise men and Mary and Joseph's escape to Egypt and the baptism and the temptation and the ministry, and if we had shared about Jesus calling the 12 and feeding the 5,000 and being transfigured, if we had written about his journey to Jerusalem and the Last Supper with the disciples and being questioned by Pilate, mocked by soldiers, and crucified with bandits, and if we had made it all the way through Jesus' birth, life, death, and burial, all the way to his resurrection, to the earthquake, to the stone rolled away and the empty tomb, if we had made it all the way through this story to this epic final mountaintop moment, why in the world would we have included the phrase, but some doubted? I mean, part of me asks, did Matthew just completely ruin the final scene of his gospel? But I don't think so. I think it's written here in the final words of Matthew because it's timelessly true. Mark Allen Powell, who's a professor at Trinity Lutheran Seminary, has pointed out that the word some here is actually not used in the original Greek. But the way that Matthew uses this phrasing allows a translator to think that the word some could be implied. But the interesting thing he found is that Matthew uses this same phrasing 17 other times, and yet no one seems to think that the word some is implied in any of these incidents. And so Paul got curious, and he finally asked a Bible translator why the word some doubted is used here, but not in these other incidents in Matthew's gospel. And the translator said to him, well, the passage wouldn't make sense otherwise, because no one can worship and doubt at the same time. And this prompted Powell to say, well, you should come to my church, because we do it all the time. And I tend to think that many of us here at Calvary would say the same thing, that we can experience doubt and worshiping fully all at the same time. Maybe Matthew knew that it was precisely to a people who doubt and believe that he was writing. Maybe he knew that it was precisely a doubting and believing people who would carry on Jesus' commission to go and make disciples. As Fred Craddock writes, whatever the nature of the resurrection event, it did not generate a perfect faith, 
even to those who witnessed it firsthand. It's not to angels or perfect believers, but to the worshiping and wavering community of disciples that this mission is entrusted, which in fact is people like you and people like me. And so what difference does this text make for us as Easter people, as we have been asking ourselves this season? Perhaps it means that as Easter people, we don't have to have it all together. Maybe it means we don't need to have all the answers, even as we teach other people what we have learned about a life of following Jesus. Maybe making disciples is inviting people into a life of following Christ in which we ask the questions together. Maybe it means that making disciples doesn't require certainty, three-step plans, diagrams, or fill-in-the-blanks. Otherwise, why would Jesus have given this instruction to people who had doubts? Maybe Easter people are invited to pass along our faith in ways that are different and imaginative, in ways that don't always involve a pen and a paper, but ways that involve our hearts, our heads, our hands, and our lives. Maybe it means that we ought not wait until we have a fuller understanding or a greater knowledge to answer Jesus' call to make disciples. Maybe it means that God is calling us to share our faith in the here and now, in our everyday lives. But maybe it also means that the call to make disciples isn't something that you or I were ever intended to do on our own. Because this task wasn't given to an individual, it was given to a community. What if it takes you and me and all of us engaged in the work of discipleship to pass along our faith in ways that are true and transformative and long-lasting? What if it takes a church and each of us are entrusted with an important piece of this grand puzzle of discipleship? Whatever it means, this is what I know. That even in the midst of our doubt, our questions, and our uncertainty about what discipleship looks like or how it ought to be done, Jesus still calls us to go, to make disciples, to baptize, to teach, to obey. And I believe that when you and I are engaged together in this messy but transformative work, it will completely change us. It will change our church, it will change our community, and it will change our world in a you and I do our part and trust God with the rest kind of way. You see, doubt has a place in Matthew's gospel, doesn't it, Matthias? We're going to catch you. <laughs> doubt has a place in Matthew's gospel, but doubt doesn't get the final word here. The last words we hear are, and remember, I am with you always until the very end of the age. I love how Eugene Peterson translated in the message. He says, and I will be with you as you do this day after day after day. Because discipleship isn't a one-time experience or even a specific season of our lives, and the call to make disciples is a day-by-day-by-day -day -day journey, one puzzle piece at a time. And in this day-by-day -day journey, the last words we need to know is that God is with us.
You know, sometimes a good book or movie or story ends where it began. As T.S. Eliot says, the end is in the beginning. And we actually see that in Matthew 2. At the beginning of Matthew, we read in chapter 1, Look, the virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. That's in chapter 1. And then here in chapter 28, in the very last verse, we are reminded of the very same thing. And lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age. These are actually the very last words of my benediction each Sunday because they are the words I want to carry with us as we leave this place each week. That God is with us. God is with Randall and Brenda Julie and Shelby. God is with baby Ryko and Huxley, Rosie and Matthias, Caspian, their parents and families. No matter what, God is with you and with me and with all of us, always. I don't know about you, but I can't think of a better ending than that. And so God, I ask that you would help us to trust in these words, in these final words that we carry with us today, that you are with us. I acknowledge that so many of us carried so many emotions and experiences and feelings with us into this room today. For some of us, it was a giant leap of faith just to walk in the door. Some of us may come here today with doubts, with questions, with uncertainties. Some of us with pain and grief that is just too heavy to bear. Some of us came with joys and celebrations. Some of us walked in this room just exhausted. But all of us need to be reminded of these words that you are with us. And so God, as we seek to answer the question of what does it mean, what does it look like for us to go to follow you, to make disciples, to teach others the faith that we have been taught. Help us to know that these aren't questions we have to answer on our own. That we journey alongside one another and that ultimately you are the God who journeys with us. God, thank you in all of these spaces and all of these moments for being with us always. Amen. Well, as part of this Easter people series, week after week, we have been discovering again and again that Jesus defeated death and was raised to new life, that we might experience life and have it abundantly. And maybe as you've been going throughout this series with us, or whether it's your first time to be a part of it, you are thinking, maybe today is the day for me to become an Easter person. We would love to talk with you about what it means to follow Jesus in this place. Or maybe you would like to join our community of faith here at Calvary, where we seek to know and to follow Jesus together, where we seek to live as Easter people in the best ways we know how. We would love to welcome you into our church family today, where I hope you have seen all throughout worship that this truly is family and all that that entails. However God leads you to respond, our ministers will be in the back ready to receive you and to pray with you as we continue in worship.
Surround us with your love as we go about our week in this busy season. On this day that brings some joy or anticipation and others pain, Holy Spirit, meet us where we are. Lift us up and out of our doubt and strengthen us to fulfill your commandments. Help us to remember that we are cleansed, body and spirit, in our baptism. Give us eyes to see your faithfulness daily and make our hope in your provision unwavering. Above all, Help us to love you with all of our hearts and to love our neighbors, encouraging, supporting, and stirring up one another in good works. Thank you for your care, your love, and your undeserving grace. We give to you all glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Calvary, it is my joy to introduce you to Hillary Warrington. Hillary has been with us throughout the past year. Um, she is originally from Nashville, Tennessee, but moved to Waco four years ago to begin working on her doctorate at Baylor in clinical psychology. Um, and Hillary shared with me that Calvary is really the church, the first church that she's really felt home. And so I think that that also embodies the spirit of a family that we have had throughout worship today. And we are really excited to get to welcome you into that family. And when I asked Hillary what she's passionate about as she was talking about clinical psychology, she's really passionate about geriatrics and specifically working with people with dementia. And when I told her that that could be an incredible gift to our congregation as we are serving senior adults and many of us have family members that we are caring for dealing with that as well. So we are looking forward to getting to know you better and serving with you in the days ahead. And the Calvary family has some words that we would like to share with you today. In response to your decision, we pledge ourselves to be the family of God for you in this place. We offer you our love, our care, our friendship, and our hope. 
I'm going to invite Hillary to have a seat for a moment, and then we can walk out together during the benediction. And I know lots of you would love to greet her on your way out. I would also like to invite Emily to come up and share a few words with us about Children's Bible Club. That's right around the corner. Children's Bible Club will be June 18th through the 22nd, each evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Our theme this year is Peace Lab, and I'm really excited about it. We're going to be discovering God's way of peace and how we can be peacemakers in the world. We are in need of volunteers in all areas, and there are many different ways to serve, including crafts, worship and music, recreation, helping with dinner, registration, and, of course, being a group leader. Lauren Everick and I are going to be in the Welcome Center just after worship to answer any questions you have about volunteering and to get you signed up in the area of your interest. So please stop by and talk to us. Additionally, we are collecting money to help with the meals and the take-home bags of food during Bible Club. Um, you can read in the announcements a little bit more about that, but we would so appreciate your contributions to this food that is needed. Thanks so much. Children's Bible Club is a week that truly takes everyone, just like we've talked about, the discipleship takes everyone. So we really hope you'll be a part of that. Also, I'm thrilled to announce, you may have seen this in the worship folder this week, that we have now reached 50% of our journey on goal. We are beyond thrilled about this news. I could break out into journey and be like, oh, we're halfway there. Um, but you can see the, the meme on Facebook. So we're thrilled about this. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your giving. And if you haven't given yet, we ask that you would prayerfully consider how God might use you to be a part of this as we finish paying off our remaining renovation expenses and journey on as a congregation. And last, next Sunday, we will be having lunch in our neighborhood at one of our local restaurants. And so we would love for you to join us for that. You can see a list of the restaurants in your worship folder. And so we hope you'll make plans to stay after and join some people from Calvary for lunch next week. Well, please stand and join me in this benediction. Friends, may the God who calls you from this place journey with you as you go. May God delight in you with joy, bringing unimagined graces. Walk with you in darkness, shining light along your way. May God be close to you in pain, giving strength for every moment, and comfort you in fear, granting courage to be brave. May God's love surround you. May Christ's mercy astound you. And may the Spirit abound in you, so that you live in the fullness of the God who is with you always. Amen.